Okay, we're back. It's October. It's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I have a very special guest, Rhonda Shabazz. Okay, what is your what is your job title? Um, so my first job title is that I'm Jalen's mom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and my second job title that I get paid for is I am the victim advocate program manager on Fort Hood in Texas. Okay. And what does that mean? What exactly do you do? So basically our office handles all victims of domestic violence. Um, we assist them with anything from safety moves, threat to life moves. We help them with getting uh, civilian protective orders, military protective orders. Um, we assist them with uh, emergency food if they need it. Uh, we assist them with getting into our local shelter, which is families in crisis. Um, we can assist them with um, landlord kind of issues if they're trying to um, move for safety reasons to get out of uh, uh, their lease. Um, So just a variety of different things, but those are some of the main things that we kind of assist with. Yeah, that was actually a lot of stuff, which makes me think (laughs) that it must be, it must be hard to get out of those situations, right? If If there's that many things that you can potentially help them with without the help, it would be hard to to get out of that situation so what what normally stops someone from getting out of those situations what do they normally need the most help with um you know our population for the military is very unique in that we do a lot of things on the installation that doesn't happen outside of the installation. So for instance, if you are a domestic violence um, on a military installation, you have people who can assist you with getting um, a portion of a, a service member's BAH, which is their basic housing allowance, mm-hmm. um, so that you can continue to you know, have some source of income to provide for you and your family, right? So if you separate, okay. you're able to get that. If you were on the outside, um, then you'd have to go through like a court system to be able to get some any type of spousal support or any type of child uh, support as it relates to if you have children or not. So that's kind of different for the military. And then with the military, of course, you know, we can get commanders involved. So unlike the civilian population who know by, their bosses don't necessarily get involved in domestic violence incidents, most of the time they may not even know that their employee has been arrested due to domestic violence or something like that, mm-hmm. unless a background check happens and you know, they happen to get that kind of information. But if you're on a job that doesn't require you to have a big background check necessarily, you, you might not ever know that one of your employees is dealing with this kind of thing. Whereas on a military installation, we're going to get every service member who has probably been arrested by law enforcement or had any contact with law enforcement, both on the installation and off the installation. So, so to deal with these victims, do they don't have to come forward or, or do they have to come to you and ask for help? So the good thing about, again, when you're dealing with our military population, we have what we call a a restricted report and then we have a non-restricted report, right? Mm -hmm. So you can basically talk with a victim advocate and 
receive a restricted report. That means it's between you and the victim advocate. It might be between you, the victim advocate, and your healthcare provider, um, who's also in that chain of being a restricted report. So we can restrict your information just to a very select few people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we still can assist you with some things. Now, there are some things where if a victim wanted uh, a civilian protective order, then you can't really, if it's if law enforcement is involved, you can't have a restricted report. But mm-hmm. if law enforcement is not involved, you had an incident with a service member and you wanted uh, a way out without having to deal with the service member, then we can assist in, uh, you know, a limited scope of things things there. Um, and then of course we have our, you, you know, our non-restricted report. So you, you can say, I want everybody involved. I want chain of command involved. I want law enforcement involved. I want healthcare involved. I want a victim advocate. You can do that as well. So they have two options on the installation. Okay. That's, I mean, the restricted report is really good because mm-hmm. I'm sure do, do more people do restricted reports? No, we have very, our our percentage of restricted reports are very limited, mainly because a lot of times we get our victims, law enforcement has already been involved. Uh, So once law enforcement is involved or once command is involved, then it no longer can be restricted because the whole point of restricted really is that very limited people know about what's happening and we're still trying to assist victim in that. But once the community is involved and everybody knows it uh, based on law enforcement involvement and all of that, then there, there is no point in having a restricted report. That makes sense. And then of course, if, you know, if there is child abuse involved in that, then it kind of uh, limits the opportunity to have a restricted report because uh, child abuse is one of the things that has to be reported. We are mandated reporters when it comes to children. That makes sense. So with the job that you have and the stuff that you deal with on a daily basis, what do you, what do you see and what do you deal with that you think maybe other people don't know? Like, what kind of insights can you give us about domestic violence? Um, so here's what we know. On average, per minute, there are 24 individuals per minute who is either being physically abused, raped, or stalked. 24 people per minute, which is 12 million people a year. Yeah. So it's a lot, right? Right. Um, Oftentimes what we hear about, we hear like all these other different awareness months and people get really, really involved in a lot of awareness months. Let's take breast cancer, for instance. We share that same month with breast cancer awareness. And both of them are equally important, but most of the time, I think people don't want to get involved on the domestic violence side because they feel like it's not their business, but they will get involved on a breast cancer awareness uh, side because it's there's no implications to that for them. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, so we deal with that as it relates to victims as well, because victims feel like uh, nobody cares. Nobody cares about what they're going through. It's really hard for a lot of victims to get the services they need without jumping through hoops. We have like, a program sometimes that we take um, the community through. It's um, Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, where you read like a, a, a scenario on a card and it asks you, 
Do you want to go to this station or do you want to go to that station? Then you make a decision. Okay, we're going to report it to the police. So you get to the police and you report and then you get another card that says, well, the police at this point um, cannot make an arrest due to this. What do you want to do? Go back home or do you want to go to this step? So it takes them through this step that victims have to go through in mm -hmm. order to even receive the basic help. And sometimes it is a matter of, wanting to just go back home because it's more stressful to go through all the steps and the red tapes to get the assistance. Um, and sometimes people feel like they should just go back home and not deal with it. Yeah. And I'm sure there's the fear aspect too, right? I mean, if you're dealing with someone that's violent, the more stuff right. that you do and you end up back in that position anyway, it's going to be worse for you. So I'm sure it'll be pretty easy to give up right. and just go back home, right? Yeah, so fear is a big reason. We know that on average, it takes a victim seven times to be put in a violent situation before they make a decision to leave. So mm -hmm. seven times. So when you, when you see that a person has left for a final time, it takes, think about how many times something happened prior to them even making that decision. Mm -hmm. So that's just on average, seven times an incident will happen seven times. And usually it progressively is getting worse. Um, yeah. And then um, they, they make that decision. Yeah, I think that's really hard for people to understand um, the fear aspect and just just the complexity of it all. Because you look on the outside and you're like, why don't you just leave? But exactly, you know, and, um, and, and fear goes with everything. Fear goes with the emotional side of it, fear goes with the financial side of it. Um, fear goes with everything. So everything, you know, in its totality makes you fearful. Not one thing makes you fearful, but you're thinking about your children. If you have children involved, you're thinking about the fact that maybe you were a stay at home uh, mother or father, um, and then you have no source of financial stability um, you may have uh, special needs children who have specific doctors. And so you start to care more about something else than you do yourself. So the mm -hmm. fear of not having something for your children um, keeps you in a situation more than the fear of you actually leaving that person. That makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, the, the children thing. People do a lot of things for their children, right? And sacrifice Correct. themselves. So. Right. And um, so, so what do you tell someone? Like if you, if you had to give advice or whatever to someone that's, you know, not gonna be directly in your program, how do you, how do you prevent these things from happening or, or what can you do once you're already there? You know, how can you encourage them to, what do you tell them? So, you know, we, we try to start off with the prevention aspect of everything, teaching people what a healthy relationship looks like. So our program has both the prevention side and the treatment side. So once something has already happened. So on the prevention side of it, we have relationship classes, we have parenting classes, we have all of these things where we try to get people to, you know, get involved on that side of it so that they don't end up on the treatment side. But when someone is actually in the the midst of their situation, we are there really to make sure that they are safe. So that's the first thing that we're, we're talking to them about. We do a lethality assessment in which we try to figure out like what, what, what environment are they really in? How safe are they? Or, or, or should we be worried 
uh, more than what we are. So based on that lethality assessment, it, that will depend on what we might say or what we might do or encourage a victim to do at that point. So we know that no matter really what we say, because remember, we got that on average, it takes seven times for them to finally, you know, walk away from a situation. So if we're getting them on the first time, you know, we have this cycle of abuse where, you know, it's the tension building phase where the tension starts to build up and then the explosive, the explosion happens. So whatever it is, strangulation, if it's a physical, if it's emotional, whatever that is, then that happens, right? And then shortly after that, we have what we call the honeymoon phase. So then in the honeymoon phase, you got folks who want to go to church with you and, you know, they're claiming God at this time and they're never going to do it again. And they're doing all mm. the things that you've asked them to do, you know, prior to that event happening. And then, of course, after that honeymoon phase, we go back to the cycle again of building up to the tension. And then, of course, then we have the explosive phase again. And that cycle just kind of keeps happening, happening and happening. And some people get stuck over in the honeymoon phase because then they start to remember that surely this is a person, this is a good person. Yeah. You know, this, some people are saying, this is the father of my children. Like, surely I was not so blinded by something to not be able to see that this was a bad person. So then it becomes a reflection of really who you are. At least that's what people think, victims think, mm -hmm. um, that am I a bad person for choosing this person? When they have nothing to do with that person, it really is about someone who wants power and control. That's yeah. what it's about. So there will be people who will say, oh no, they have anger issues or they were this, you know, they have all these excuses. But the reality is, Anger, if you can control it in some situations, but you don't control it in other situations, that is not the same thing as domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So if you can control your anger while you're at work and you don't slap the shit out of your boss, <laughs> then you don't have to do that to, to, your, to your spouse, right? Yeah, right? So that's what we always tell everybody. This is really not about anger. This is about power and control. This is someone who wants some type of power and control over someone. They know that they can do it, so they do it. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. You do hear that a lot. I do hear um, victims of domestic violence say, you know, he has anger problems or like, like what you were saying earlier, uh, he's actually a good person. He just needs blah, blah, blah. I mean, but like right. I said earlier, I think that's the complexity of it. We're just looking at two people that we don't know and we're like obviously if he slaps you he's not a good person but to them they're just like nah i've seen him do like a hundred good things and so mm -hmm. you know right. just made a, a mistake or 10 mistakes right. you know so. and then you know sometimes you have family involved and mm -hmm. so when you are um listening to let's say a mother's cry about their child like just help him out or just help her out she needs this or he needs this or uh, they love you. Um, um, I know that they love you. Um, you know, all, all of these surrounding things also contribute to why a victim stay in those relationships because mm -hmm. you have other entities who um, are not giving you the real support that you need. Right. So you tend to you tend to break down because really it's it's really about, you know, someone attacking 
the essence of your soul, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and, and you you want to feel like you're a good person too. So, uh, it, you know, it depends on if you are a religious person. People start to talk about forgiveness. What about forgiveness? People make mistakes, and you know that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. we encourage our victims to know that it's okay for someone to make a mistake, but you don't have to stay for them to correct their mistakes. You don't have to necessarily be the forgiver of someone who is putting you in an unsafe situation. Um, mm. That a person, maybe they can heal, maybe they can get better. It just doesn't have to necessarily be with you. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't ever, no one is ever gonna know that, which is why we never encourage uh, a victim to stay in a relationship because from our standpoint, we already know that it progressively gets worse. Right. Oh, that was really insightful. What else you got for me? What else? What else do you know that maybe someone like me doesn't encounter on a daily basis? So I'll ask you this question. What do you think the most lethal form of domestic violence is? If you had to say the most lethal form of domestic violence, what would you say it is? As in the way that people are killed? Right. Or just the situation of something happening and someone says that falls under domestic violence. What would you think is most lethal? I mean, I don't know. If I gave you a choice between a gun, strangulation, and a slap, or a, a closed fist, what, which one say, would you say? I'm going to say a slap or a closed fist. And that would be the wrong answer. What is Our it? Most lethal form of domestic violence is strangulation i was gonna pick that first that's crazy <laughs> though that's that's crazy when i tell you that because what happens is most victims they look at it as choking right um they, they'll say the person never hit them before so then when we're doing the lethality Ooh, assessment, i have heard that before i've heard a lot of women say oh he's never hit me he just roughed me up he just grabbed me Mm -hmm. And usually it's a grab, you know, by the neck, you know, which is what we call strangulation. Most people will refer to it as choking. Um, but for the correct term, we're talking strangulation. And mainly because you can die from strangulation two days later. Really? And, and not have the symptoms that uh, uh, a gunshot wound would give you or uh, uh, a, a closed fist would give you. So you, you could not have any marks. You could not experience any physical effects of strangulation at that moment, which is what happens sometimes with victims. So when they go, if they don't go to uh, an emergency room immediately after um, to get an actual exam where someone can actually do the special light that can see things that you wouldn't be able to see from the outside, um, that's why it's so detrimental. And so we always, when we hear strangulation, it is one of the things, strangulation and sexual assault is one of the things that we send immediately to our CID, which is Criminal Investigation Division. Um, that's how serious it is. So uh, we, we definitely um, want our victims to know that if you have been strangled, you are seven times more likely 
um, to die by the hands of that abuser. Wow. Yeah. That's actually crazy. I didn't know that. I genuinely didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. I'm learning all kinds of stuff. What else? What else? What else would I not know? Um, you know, I have been watching this series on Netflix called The Maid. The Maid. And um, yep, it's called The Maid, M-A-I-D. And uh, I started watching it, not knowing what it was going to be about. But at the very beginning of it, it's about this girl who um, her spouse um, got so intoxicated that he punched a hole in the wall right next to her head and he broke glass and he did all of these things. She walked away from it, you know, she, well, she ran away, should I say, from it. And when the domestic violence shelter um, encouraged her or when the, the person that she went to encouraged her to um, fill out the forms for abuse, she kept saying, well, it's not abuse, I'm not abused. But intimidation is a form of abuse, mm. right? Um, and, and a lot of people don't see that as abuse, but it is a form of abuse. Um, so when someone is, again, think about power and control. If yeah. someone uh, intimidates you by uh, pulling out a, a, a gun, although they didn't use it, that's an intimidation factor to let you know what I'm capable of doing. Right. And so she just kept referring to herself as not being abused and she wouldn't want to take away a bed in the shelter from someone who was truly being abused. That's what we see with a lot of our victims. They don't know the severity of what situations they're in at that moment. And mm -hmm. that's the scary part. That's the scary part. And then what happens is they get fed up and then they say, I'm just gonna leave. So whenever you decide to leave, then that's when you should be most cautious, most concerned, because at that point, when you have someone who is all about power and control um, and you say, I'm leaving, that's where death comes. That's where most people, um, you, if you see uh, some of the stories of victims who have been uh, murdered by their intimate partner, you will, you will hear the family say, that person was leaving them. That person was trying to get away. So once a victim is in the process of that, we that's when we become our most cautious and, 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 and concerned about them in that instance, because that's when it becomes serious. That's when mm -hmm. we, we think about death in its truest form, because at that point, um, if you think about power and control, you're, out, you're about out to lose it, yeah. Mm -hmm. You're about to lose at that point. So how do you win? You take somebody out, you take yourself out, you take kids out, all of that in their mind, you're still in control because you you, you wiped it out for them. Mm, that's, that's deep. So when we, when we, if you, if you are out there and you are dealing with a victim, don't be so quick to just give your advice. Let, let them talk to people who do it on a daily basis so that you don't make the mistake of, you know, leave that person. You don't deserve this. And while they don't deserve it, you can't just leave. You do have to have a thought process about what it is to leave. What do you do? 
how do you keep yourself safe? How do you, wh where do you store a key, uh, a, a, a key? What kind of keywords do you have for your friends to know that you're in imminent danger? Um, what's your call signal? Where, where will you go that that person or their family has no access to, right? Um, mm -hmm. you, you don't wanna run to somebody's mom, of course, right? You don't wanna run to your friends because they know who you're close to, right? Mm -hmm. And prayerfully at this point that they have not um, alienated you from all of your friends because that's kind of how it starts. They, they start to eventually push you away further and further from the people who are closest to you. So that they then are the only person that you can depend on. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. So you, you hear them become jealous of every little thing. And so in order not to argue about the jealousy of all of the foolishness, you just tend to kind of eventually spread apart from that person. Just not be around that person because that person brings the 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 crazier craziness out in your partner. Right. And so then eventually what they do is alienate you from everybody that you love most to include your parents, to include your friends, a family, everybody. Mm. That's tough. I mean, even thinking about all of those steps in that process, that's a. That's exhausting. Right. It is. It's very exhausting. So then you have to think about that. So then when we talk about fear, it's always that is a part of fear as well, because sometimes they threaten to hurt other people mm -hmm. that you love. Right. You have a brother, if you have a sister uh, who loves you and cares about you and are looking out for you, then that person starts to threaten those people. If they do this, how about I shoot them too? How about I do this to them? How about, you know, so then that becomes a part of the fear tactic as well. Because when you love somebody, you don't want to put them in harm's way because mm -hmm. you've chosen to stay in a situation. Right. That's sad. No, it is really sad. It's really, it's really sad. Um, but we know that it's out there. It's uh, again, it's as prevalent as any other disease that is out there that we should bring awareness to more than just this month, right? More than that. Um, we, we, we need to be thinking about this on a daily basis to try and combat some of the things that we can as individuals. Like most of us will turn an eye uh, to domestic violence, no matter who we are, uh, there are a lot of people who are bystanders when it comes to that because they think somehow someone else is either going to make the call or that it's none of their business. And oftentimes because victims do go back to a situation, you have your neighbors and friends and families who just don't wanna get involved because you keep going back. Mm. Yeah. That but that even if a person keeps going back, I'm saying make the call anyway. Even if it's anonymous, make the call anyway. Do something. Intervene. So who, am I, something. who am I making the call to? Who am I calling? You can make it just to your local police department. So if you're going to call them, they have to come out for, for something. They mm. have to come out. 
Okay, what about the the thought that I might put them in danger, like we talked about? What do I? How do I convince myself that calling the police is the right thing, especially knowing that they don't be doing nothing sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Well, I, I mean, you know, they can only do um, what's within the law, right? right? So if they show up and you act like you're in love with someone and nothing happened and you have no idea. Uh, what that was about, um, then of course they just can't take somebody off in handcuffs as a result, right, right, right. Of that, which is, I really wish they would at this point. At this point, I really wish that if somebody called um, that we would separate them immediately, mm -hmm. right? Because it gives a victim time to think about the opportunity to walk away or to get to safety at that point. Mm -hmm. But if 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 they if the police come and they know that there's not going to be an arrest, then it is hard for them to make a decision to leave, because if if they pack up, they've got somebody there watching them pack up. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's it, it's a it's it's a hard situation. Um, so even if someone doesn't feel comfortable in calling law enforcement, um, figure out a way to know the habits maybe of the family that you might be living next door to so that if the perpetrator is not there, maybe you can hand the victim something or let them know that, um, hey, if you, have, if, if, if you are in distress, this is what you need to do to let me know you're in distress. Mm, okay. Right? That, that, that's something. You, yeah. you don't necessarily have to call the police. You don't necessarily have to go over to someone's house because that does put you in danger as well. So we're not asking for that either. But figure out a way where you can be helpful, whatever that is. So for instance, if you're listening to this podcast, you can say to a victim from now on, if you guys are having a fight, don't go in the bathroom. You have no escape when you walk in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Stay in an open area so that if it gets that bad, that you can have a good escape route. Mm, that's right? Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Put you an extra credit card somewhere else with a friend, with a family member, so that if you have to escape, that someone, even if your family doesn't have money, at least you've saved something or you put away something so that you can get a bus ticket, an Uber or a cab or whatever it is to a temporary shelter. Mm. Find out what your local shelter is in the area so that you can give that information to a victim if they need it. Mm. Sometimes these victims don't know what's out there. You know, yeah. not everybody goes into their relationship saying, oh, I need to write down this resource for a victim advocacy because this might can happen to me. They don't. Yeah. Right. So they have no idea who to call, when to call them, where they're located or any of that. So they're usually calling and trying to figure out something in a crisis mode. And if you've ever been in a crisis, you know that your brain is not even functioning the way you need it to function. So right. you don't really know what to do at that time. That makes sense. And then depending on what state you're in, you know, each state has different rules and laws in which they abide by. You need to know what your local gun policies are. Um, and if you have weapons in your house, if the police do come and they ask you that question, 
tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. Don't lie and say you don't have a weapon because that very weapon might be your demise. Yeah. We want to make sure that you, you know, think in terms of safety all the time. Even if it means if you know you you have a spouse who's been drinking and they when they start drinking, they get abusive, whether it's verbally or physically. Right. You know where your weapons are. Hide them Mm. in another place at that moment. Yeah. That that's you know, that's something that you can do to keep yourself protected in that way as well. That's good advice. Good advice. Wow, you said a lot today. This is a lot more information than I expected. I've really learned a lot, seriously. Even, I mean, I don't know if you have more, but take everything. I mean, you know, this this situation, uh, uh, when we talk about domestic violence, has so many components to it. Mm-hmm. And um, no one situation is ever the same. That's right. what we do, know dealing with the victims. No one thing is ever the same. You know, some people have children involved. Some people don't have children Im- involved. Some people are married. Some people are not married, right? Um, mm. In the military, uh, we, you know, our rules and regs are governed in a different way for a lot of things. Um, and so, you know, that population is is a little different in how things are handled as well. Um, but you can get civilian protective orders. You can go to the courthouse and file them yourself. You don't have to have an expensive lawyer or anything like that. And there are websites and, and places, and I'll make sure that I give you a few things um, that you can post maybe uh, under uh, the link, you know, during in your link yeah. whenever you post this um, for victims. Um, there are so many resources out there. Um, you just have to be willing to take those resources. You have to be willing to put in the work. Um, and that's really what it boils down to. We can do nothing of our own. We can only do what victims allow us to assist them in doing that. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. put it in the description. I'll put it in the description box under the video or wherever else I'll post it. I'll post the links with it. And also, we didn't say this yet, but um, we, we have until the end of October to get the 12 million steps. So if you're watching this and you don't follow me on social media, um, we're, we're walking for domestic violence awareness. And- oh, yep. We have the Purple Up Mile Challenge uh, where we're getting 12 million steps. Um, and we're doing that throughout the month of October. If you walk already, you run already, you bike already, you Zumba already, if you cycle, whatever it is, you, you can calculate that into miles, send us those miles. We'll do what we need to do on our part. Uh, we'll put the link in the, um, uh, in, in the description so that you have that link, send it to us, hashtag purple up for DV or hashtag 12 million steps. Um, and it's just for us to bring awareness to domestic violence, not at one, any one place. Like I'm in Texas right now, but I have reached out to, you know, numerous of, of folks that I know so that everybody can get involved um, in this um, in this awareness month. And throughout the, the remainder of the year, we plan on just 
bringing awareness throughout the year, all, all the time, you know, 24 seven really is what it should be about. Um, each uh, state that you're in, there is probably a crisis line. There is definitely a national domestic violence uh, crisis line. We'll put that information um, also out there for you um, that you can always call them. You can go online with them. Um, they have a lot of helpful resources um, out there as well. Of course, if you're in the military community, there are some special um, uh, compensation things that a victim advocate can assist you with that you can reach out to uh, a victim advocate to kind of assist you in that process if you are um, um, married to a service member. Um, there are state uh, crime victims compensations as well um, that each state has. Uh, so if you have been a victim of uh, domestic violence or really uh, there are several crimes that fit under that uh, category that um, you can receive compensation for as well. Okay. Perfect. Do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, are we going to sing our song? No, no. This is wow. not the place to be singing songs. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Jay embarrassed me. <laughs> no, I think the people want to hear you sing your song. No, nah, they definitely don't. I got a little, I got a little cold. I can't sing like I normally sing, so they they don't want to hear that. <laughs> All right, anything else? Um, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Um. Just know that there are uh, many organizations out there um, for those folks who are victims of domestic violence. Um, we also um, report, of course, we're mandatory reporters for child abuse. So uh, a lot of times we do have children that are involved um, and, and know that this is one of those um, traumatizing experiences that kids take with them into, into their adulthood. And, you know, of course, there is a lot of statistics out there about uh, how children who, are, who were brought up in this type of environment um, are more prone to act out in the same way or mm -hmm. to become victimized as a result of it. So um, children see us um, and they don't always do what we tell them to do, but they do what they see us doing. Right. So makes perfect sense. That's true for everything, really. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's well, that's it. I appreciate you being on here and spreading this awareness and giving us all this information. Cause like I said, I learned a lot today and I felt like I knew a lot before, but now I feel like I didn't. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so maybe a lot of other people will feel like that and maybe we'll have more empathy and maybe we'll be able to help a lot more people with this information that she gave us. And can people, are people allowed to, can they reach out to you personally and talk to you if they're- Let know, me say person? this, cause you, you have quite a few followers. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I, do I want 10,000 people to contact me? And no, but we're gonna put the resources in there. Now, if you are uh, at Fort Hood, then of course this, we are your people. But mm -hmm. if you are at any other installation or any other state, we can get you to a state representative who can assist you with that. So if you call and say, can you help me find my person there? Or even if you call just to ask a general question and I can do that, 
for sure. I, I, I'm always willing um, to be able to do that. Um, our, my number is 254-287-3583. That is my work number, 254-287-3583. I thought you were about to put your cell number. I was going to say, um, I don't no, think no. that's a good idea, but. <laughs> nope, okay. nope, that's my work number. So, <laughs> so if, there, if there is a victim out there who had a question, I really don't care where they're from. If I can help them and answer that question, then I would do that for them. Okay, perfect, perfect. And uh, you'll you'll send me all of those resources so that I can put them in the description box. Yes, most definitely. Okay. All right. Well, why did you turn your camera off? I didn't. Uh, sorry, my battery said low. Oh, okay. That's a sign that we need to get off anyway. But, all right. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. And I'm glad to see you again. Love you so much. And all right, love you too. I will talk to you later. Let me stop recording.